listeners and welcome to episode 6 of the Rapid Ascent podcast. Got a really special guest for you today, Diana Blegg from Melbourne in Victoria. She's an unbelievable endurance athlete, a very late entrance to the world of adventure racing, um, but a, a supreme athlete nonetheless. Uh, she's also a, a HIV AIDS survivor and a survivor of breast cancer as well. Just tune in and listen. It's a long episode, this one, went for quite a while, but just an incredible story of um, coming coming back against the odds. So thanks for tuning in. Episode 6 of the Rapid Ascent podcast with your host, Ben Hucker. Diana Blake, welcome to episode 6 of the Rapid Ascent podcast. Hey, thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me on board. That's all good. Now, your story is pretty incredible, um, to say the least. You could virtually write a, a Hollywood script about your life to date. Is yeah. that the way you planned it or it's just the way it turned out? <laughs> uh, look, I don't really uh, plan much, but I, I could, at, at, as a child I could never have imagined that my life could have been so, uh, I guess, amazing and crazy as it has been. Um, I don't think, uh, you know, still I can't even imagine what my future is going to be, but, yeah, it's, it's, I don't plan much, so I just let it sort of unfold. Yeah, it's... Um... Well, it's a pretty good philosophy to have so and a pretty tough question to start off with. So let's go back a few steps. We initially had you on the podcast today because you were doing Augusta, the final Augusta Adventure Fest yeah. in Augusta, Western Australia. So that's happening November 2 to 3. Unfortunately, you picked up a bug, I do believe, in Fiji. Yeah. So not that long ago, about a month ago, and you were doing Eco Challenge. That's right, yeah. So I was over in Fiji Racing Eco Challenge um, and amazing event and really excited um, for, you know, when it does come to air. So I can't speak too much about it. But, um, yeah, post-event, post quite a few of us picked up, like, sort of skin lesions and fevers and that sort of stuff. So that it's it's knocked a lot of people around, the um, post-race effects, me being one of them just for a change. Yeah, well, it sounds like sounds like yet another challenge that you've had to deal with, and probably fairly minuscule in terms of some of the challenges you've dealt with in the past. Would you agree? Yeah, look, it, it was more of a, I guess, an inconvenience. It, I guess, um, so I, I ended up. It, it worked out that I had a sandfly bite that was carrying a parasite, um, and the parasite sort of gets into your sort of skin and makes these sort of lesions. So. There wasn't really anything bad, but it was just more of an inconvenience because being in Australia, um, the doctors weren't familiar with it, so they wanted to get on top of it before they let me out of the hospital. Um, so, okay. yeah. So just precautionary for, for the time being? That's right, yeah. And obviously you can't talk about Echo Challenge. It's been picked up by Amazon Prime. That's going to be broadcast, is it this year or next year? 2020. I'm not sure when in 2020, but um, it's going to be pretty spectacular. The race was very, very awesome. Um, we did some really crazy stuff, as you can imagine, in, in any adventure race. That sort of thing happens. But I, I guess being having to be televised, they certainly um, had us doing some really fun and adventurous challenges. Yeah. 
And is it is it going down that path of survivor? Is it like Mark? Oh, Burnett not at all. Still... No. So no? What, what the beauty was, it was an adventure race. So first and foremost, Eco Challenge. Um, it's called the world's toughest race. Eco Challenge Fiji was an adventure race. Uh, they just captured it on film, and adventure racing puts you in the position, like the, especially the expedition style. It 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 takes you to the because of, I guess, that expedition day after day, day after day, uh, minimal sleep, you get pushed to your limits and that's when you see raw emotion, raw humans, like just doing what they can to get across the line and that was captured. So it wasn't it wasn't fake. It was, it was reality TV but, you know, to the at grassroots level, I guess. Um, yeah, it was. And at the closing ceremony they showed us, some snapshots of what they'd filmed and like it was it's going to be brilliant like because when you see yeah. real humans pushing themselves to their limits um it's real and and it, it's in like i'm getting shivers down my spine now just thinking about like how yeah how emotional it was just to watch people being pushed to their limits which um, yeah personally sorry I personally can't wait to see it, and it's, it sounds. How long exactly were you out in Fiji for? Uh, we to talk about the time. Yeah, well, we left um, Australia on the fifth, and we, we returned on the twenty second, and the event went for the course was open for eleven days. And this is just last last month in September. So. That's right. Yeah. So just well, three weeks ago, just over three weeks ago, we finished. Yeah, I won't push you too much more on that if you've signed a, a non-disclosure agreement with the big boys. Thank you. But, um, yeah, very unfortunate <clears throat> that you're not able to do Augusta this year, but I guess those things happen. If we can wind the clock right back, um, adventure sport for you didn't really wasn't really a natural thing to begin with, was it? I mean, you had your you started with a passion for cross country running, and you were, I understand you were state champion. Is that right? That's right. When I was uh... I was actually, I started as a swimmer when I was young because I had um, asthma and apparently swimming was good for asthma. So that's sort of how I got going. Um, and I was always a good swimmer but never like for nationals and all that sort of stuff, never never made it, you know, I, I made, made club champion and local sort of stuff. I did okay. But, um, yeah, I never really made it to the top. Um and then I started running by default, um, cross-country running, as I made it into the school teams for, um, for Victoria. I loved it and quite excelled at the running side of things. So then I was doing two sports, running and swimming. And then um, back in the 80s, I think it was, maybe, uh, the biathlons became started happening and it was that I was just a natural progression from my sports into biathlons and I did really well and then triathlons started I think I did my first triathlon um 1984 I was 14 years old and 1984 yep yeah that uh, 84 that sounds right doesn't it that's right yeah um that sounds, yeah yeah 14 years old and I just it, it was perfect for me because whilst I'm not fantastic at either of you know any of the legs I'm, a, I'm strong at all of the legs if that makes sense so I was a strong swimmer strong runner and I was a strong cyclist um and yep. that that works well in triathlons and it works well in adventure racing and I guess a, a natural flair for these sports 
How did you go with um, ball sports, for example, netball? (laughs) I did play netball and basketball, but I got what's called Oswald Schlatter's disease in my knees, um, which just because of the jarring and growing growing and all that sort of jarring at the same time. So the doctors suggested, the sports doctor suggested I should drop the those sort of sports. Um, yep. I, I enjoyed them for sure and I like team sports but I, I feel I'm probably, I just, when I'm racing as an individual I just, um, all I have to look after I guess is myself and that's that's a lot easier for me. Yeah, that's that's funny how the, the doctor had a little bit of influence there on your career. Yeah, I, guess I, I, I don't doctor, think I would have, the... yeah, I never would have been a full-on team sport person. Um, I played all right in, in the games, but being short, um, you know, I was never going to make a netballer or a basketballer. Well, you know, I guess I could have, but yeah. I, had, I had the height against me. So definitely not a matter of not having your skill, just kind of recommended that you do something else. Yeah, that's right. And then from cross-country into biathlon to triathlon, um, you finished school at a regular age, so 18. You went yeah, right to the end? that's right. <laughs> I went to year 12 and then um, I had an option obviously to follow my um, schooling to go to uni or to follow sport and I chose sport much more fun <laughs> yeah um, yeah and I thought you know I'd defer and go back to uni but I never did make it back to uni but I you know not regretting that either do you remember what you wanted to study at the time or what was recommended to you um science so I was a math science sort of brain um english and all the other sort of subjects didn't really gel with me but you know physics chemistry maths a maths b biology all that sort of stuff was up what i like to study and did really well at so monash science i got into um but I, I had no idea when i was little like i wanted to be a marine biologist yep. I, yeah that's just because i like swimming i think <laughs> yeah swimming and dolphins i don't think marine right. biology is quite that though <laughs> um so yeah quite interesting you got accepted into monash uni and knocked it back that's right yeah because um my love of sport i just love sport i love doing i just loved it i don't know i can't even explain it it was my passion it was what i wanted to do yeah um and then adventure racing by this stage it still wasn't really a thing for you was it so you're I still didn't doing even your know, yeah yeah, triathlon was my thing. I didn't even know adventure racing existed. And, and of course, it did, and it was happening around the world. Um, and I remember seeing it on, I think, SBS or some Channel Zero, um, watching some people doing something like that, and I'm assuming um, now it was adventure racing. Uh, but, yeah, I didn't know that sort of thing was around at all. So it's still a pipe dream at that point, and... Uh, you worked as a garbo. I've, yeah. I've been reading up and listening to podcasts and reading some articles. You worked as a garbo from about age 18 to age 23? Yeah, that's right. It was my favourite job that I've ever had. Um, and this I, is back in the day when you had to run behind the truck. and. That's right. Yeah, we had to run behind the truck. Um, started with um, the little tin bins, which people wouldn't even know existed now. They were little tin <laughs> Tin bids with lids, you threw the lids off, you know, picked up two bins, threw them in the back of the truck, banged them away and then dropped them back on the nature strip upside down. Um, so there was 
yeah, quite an art to that. And from there it went to the green bins, which we still ran behind the garbage truck and hooked them onto a hook. Um, so from tin bins to wheelie bins. That's right, yeah. And that was great. Like I'd run 20 to 30 kilometres a morning just as part of my work as well as, you know, moving these bins around and um, I loved it, just loved it. And it was back in the day when uh, there wasn't much um, – uh, I guess the workplace ethics were <laughs> a little different then. So it was yeah, quite, yeah. probably non-existent. <laughs> That's right, back in the 80s. So it was quite yeah. raw. Um, the tea room was, you know, decorated in all sorts of lovely pictures of <laughs> of, of, of women that they'd found in the books on the nature strip and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah, but I, you I know, I was one, the pictures. Yeah, I, I was one of the – like I grew up as a tomboy so and they accepted me as one of them whatever that you know may be I could run faster than most of them and I, I pulled my yeah. weight and so I was just accepted and loved and actually when I made it to the Commonwealth Games um, in 1990 all the guys yep. did a fundraiser for me and um, you know put got some money you know and together for the trip as well so that was yeah really cool and they all um, I've still got the t-shirt they signed a t-shirt for me um, they, yeah they just it was great. And I still catch up with the guys now, like, you know, either by phone call or go and visit them, that sort of stuff. That's brilliant. So, yeah. like, they rattled the tin for you. What what did you go to the Commonwealth Games for? Which which event? Uh, 1990. It was in New Zealand for triathlon. Okay. Yeah. Was it was that one, one of the first events? It was, yeah. For triathlon at Com yeah, Games or Olympic Games? The Com, Com Games, first time. And did you have a, a crew name for... Going back to the Galbos, did you have a crew name? Uh, my my nickname was Legs. Legs. <laughs> Legs, yeah. And a decent twenty to thirty k of, of running each morning. That's right, yeah. Because um, a lot of the guys would jump on the truck and get a lift to the next bin. I'd just run. I was, you know, nineteen, twenty, fit. Um, yeah, and. You know, I didn't quite know the benefit of what I was doing. It was just something that I, you know, like I said, I loved, I just love moving. So, yeah, yeah, just every morning, 20 to 30K, running behind a garbage truck, pulling bins around. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. And no need for training after that? I did, or yeah, of course. Trained. So that was only running. Yep. So because I was doing triathlons at the time, I'd go home from my shift, have a sleep, and then um, head out on the bike or go to swimming training. Yeah, I read in um, through my research uh, this morning and this afternoon that you're not big on planning. You obviously said that at the start as well. Um, you basically wake up and whatever feels right, you do it. That's Is that right. the case back then as well? That was yeah. I um I've never really had a coach. I had a swimming coach when I was swimming, um, and when I started running, um, a lady took me under her wing for a while. Um, but basically, I've you know made it through life and just just doing just getting up and doing and um and I try I put the miles in for sure but I um like I don't own a watch I don't have a heart rate monitor I don't no I don't even have a speedo on my bike um I just you still don't have a heart rate monitor to this to this day correct yeah I don't even own a watch so when I go for a ride <laughs> I don't take my well my phone might be off in my pack in case I have you know just in case I need the phone for any reason yep. Um, but I don't track distance, I don't track wattage, I don't track heart rate, I don't track time. I just go out and ride and 
just love I just love I don't know I just it's not training it's it's going out and doing what I enjoy yes yeah, so not even any concept of time apart from you know the sun coming down oh it's getting a bit dark is it that <laughs> I, type of thing well depending like I do know my trails so I do know like I've got two hours up my sleeve I know what that two hours can look like on a trail if that makes sense. But I could actually, yeah. like I could go, oh, let's go for a four-hour ride and not take a watch and pretty much leave and come back right to the dot of four hours. Uh, I, I don't, yeah, like my, my body's just got its own natural clock. Yeah, and it's always been that been that yeah. way. It's very, Even in, on water it's very disorientated, so I, I can't track time swimming or paddling really well, but on land I can. You know, and doing triathlon, it seems like you, you. I know you went off travelling about the age of twenty three. So Garbo from about age eighteen to twenty three. That's right. Did yep. triathlon not offer enough for you in terms of challenge, or uh, look, did, did you get tired of it? <laughs> Triathlons was great, and when I first started, it was like. Um, it was like when I first started adventure racing. So when I first started the Anaconda Adventure Race Series, the community was great. Like it was it was new and people from all over were doing it and giving it a go and it was very raw and I love that. So when I first started triathlons, it was the same. Um, it was very new. It was very friendly. Um, it was very earthen, I can say, maybe. So a lot of people, yep. you know, everyone was just starting it for the first time and it was, I don't know, I like that. And then over a period of time it became very geared, you know, what bike you rode. Um, it became very political as well. And yep. what, the more political things become, the, the less, I guess, I enjoy, enjoy them. So I did it for that because I love doing it, not because of all the rules and all the, I don't know, it just became... Yeah. Just became more consumer driven. <laughs> yeah, so I just lost my my love for it. Really? Yeah. And you haven't done any triathlon since, apart from oh. adventure racing and off road I mean, format. I did do one, um, which was quite interesting. I did one randomly when I was I can't even remember what age, and I don't know whether I'd started adventure racing then or not. But I did one randomly. Um, and I entered the pro category in a, it was triathlon in Victoria, and I won it. And then um, because I wasn't a part of triathlon Victoria, this, that's the political side of things, I wasn't yeah. acknowledged. I didn't, like, there was prize money and I wasn't acknowledged as placing first. I didn't get any prize money because I wasn't in part of, you know, I was just this random. Uh -huh. So I don't know. Hadn't, hadn't paid your fees or something. Sorry? Hadn't paid your fees or something. Well, you just weren't part of member paid, of that. Yeah, like I entered the race, and when you enter the race, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm sure. Oh, I fees for the um the triathlon body or whatever it may have been at the time. Yeah, I don't know. I just because yeah. I just rocked up, did the race. Um. Anyway, and that just for me just went. Oh, you know, I'm I'm over this. <laughs> yeah, so I, <laughs> but you still won. I won it. Yeah, I won the pro pro yeah. section, and it was a. So, up against sponsored athletes and people that are probably doing it full time. Yeah, possibly. And uh, how did you go at the Commonwealth Games, incidentally? Uh, 
I actually can't remember how I placed, maybe 11th. Is this bad? Yep. I think uh, uh, um, I'll blame, blame it on my chemo brain, but, yeah, I think it was 11th. <laughs> um, I, uh, I loved it. Anyway, it was good fun. It's good being part of something yeah. new. I was in that open category, so I wasn't in age group. I raced open in the protein. Um it's always a massive achievement to wear the green and gold in any event. Oh, so yeah, it was great. That must have been a massive thrill for you. Look, it was. I don't think I appreciated the full meaning of it back then because I, yeah, it wasn't ever like something in my like list of things to do. Like I never wanted to be an Olympian or a Commonwealth Games athlete. I just sort of stumbled my way there. So I don't think... Yeah. Like looking back, I should have like valued a lot more, but I it was just part of the growth and part of I know just just sort of happened. Yeah, that's it's an unusual sort of trajectory towards the Commonwealth Games, but um <laughs> just kind of did you even plan for it or have it as a goal? No, it like just, no, it, I it didn't. Uh, it just sort of happened. Yeah, and I do have goals, yeah. like I'm saying that I do have goals, but I don't know, yeah, that was, yeah, that was never on the radar really. Oh, it might have been, but not, wasn't what I was driven for. You know, for me I do yeah. I race because I love the races, um, I love competing. Um, yeah, I'm not, not necessarily one for ranking myself against other people. I just want to do the best that I can as opposed to. Um, I don't know, even know how to explain it. Oh, it sounds like it's it's pure it's pure passion for you first and foremost, just getting out and doing rather than sort of looking back at all the achievements. And I know John Jacoby, the founder of Rapid Ascent, is very similar. Okay. He never yeah. never really looks at the accolades and all the rest. It's kind of a a natural thing that you would do anyway, even if there was no competition. That's probably yeah, that's the best right. way to put it. Yeah, well that's that's pretty much like I don't need another competitor to do the best that I can. Like, and I don't, well, like I did CrossFit for a while and people need people cheering them on and music and all this stuff. And for me, I don't care if anyone's there, whether the music's going or not going. I will just, yeah. uh, I, I just go within myself and be the, try and be the best that I can. Regardless, I don't even hear what's happening around me actually. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting mindset and well, obviously, triathlon. There was something, maybe something missing there in terms of. Well, obviously, the governing bodies took <laughs> over, and it's a very Ironman, especially today, is a very professional. And you know, I won't make too many comments about the Ironman and the format and the corporation and all the rest. But you moved on from triathlon pretty quickly and went travelling. Yeah, so it wasn't quickly necessarily. I I did the, like I started age 14 and stopped when I was 23. So, you know, there's a solid, solid um, time of competing. And when I, like there were triathlons all over the place. So I was, you know, competing every, if not every weekend, every second weekend. And it was a pretty full-on time. Um, And, you know, possibly burnout was a part of it, but I I think not boredom. But yeah, just kind of moved on. Um, but before I yeah. went traveling, I um, I did do like I became a raft, a whitewater raft guide. Um, so yep. I sort of got added, still keeping fit, but got out in nature and really love that. Um, and I also got a mountain bike back in the day when there was no suspension. 
and did a couple nice of mountain bike trails. Yeah, oh, fully rigid, fully rigid. <laughs> full rigid. Full rigid. Back in the 90s, there was, you know, that was it. Um, so I did do a few mountain bike races, really loved that and sort of dabbled yep. in the adventure sport. But, you know, there wasn't anything linking them together at the time. Yeah. And, and I, oh, I, sorry. I guess that's the, the first segue into adventure racing if you – Started off in kayaking and then bought that mountain bike. It's like you were getting close, and then you you went off traveling after that. Did you did you seek adventure when you were traveling? Well, actually, I was I was raft guiding, and one of the other raft guides said told me that there was like an expedition, a cross country skiing expedition um, in India in the Indian Himalayas, and someone had dropped out, and they needed someone to fill the place. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah I can cross country ski. Um, and the next thing you know, I was <laughs> how many times had you, had you been cross country skiing? Oh, I'd been up to Lake Mountain a couple of times. Um, oh yeah, so it's yeah, not yeah. like you hadn't done it. I know, I know. I'd I'd, yeah. I'd had a couple of goes, and nothing yeah. like Himalayas with a thirty kilo pack on my back because we were fully self sufficient for twenty days. Um, but anyway, I like because of my fitness and my ability to adapt to any situation. Um, I you know. I was fine, like no one could tell because, you know, the, the other people that weren't quite as fit anyway. So, um, so yeah. yeah, I just leapt straight. That's what took me out of the country actually was adventure. Um, from there I went to Nepal and met up with a group of whitewater raft guides here in Australia and we went whitewater rafting um, for nearly a month in Nepal. Um, we covered five of the rivers there. So um, we'd hike into the rivers and then, raft out or we had kayaks as well so so that was another month of um excitement yeah and from there I went how are conditions in those rivers oh man we went when it was monsoon time so it was, right. yeah Just... big water it wasn't tech like it was technical because of volume but not technical because of rocks and you know um yeah i think you know um it wasn't technical because there was lots of big rapids, but there was it was voluminous rapids. So, yeah, and it was okay. awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. Just big, and, big, fast water. And Lovely. any as, as long as that fast water was behind you? <laughs> no, we, we, we had no, like, I think we had, like, six boats and, uh, like, six rafts and quite a few kayaks yeah. with us. So we, we were all, like, it was all good. It was all safe and all, mo most of them were raft guides from um, around Australia, so it was a really good crew. Yeah, it sounds magnificent. And would you say that your travelling was born of adventure or did you actually want to go out and see the world? No, probably should clarify for listeners too. Did you, you grew up in Melbourne? That's right, yep. So you, you're based in Eltham now. Is that where you grew up? I grew up mm. in the it's a place called the Basin at the bottom of the Dandenong Ranges. Oh, yep. So, yeah, the Dandenong Ranges were my, was my playground as a kid and that's, that's where I first started running up in the ranges. So that's Sylvan, is it? Uh, no, the basin, so it's below Sassafras. It's on the bottom. So, um, yeah, just below Sassafras and, and Alinda. Okay. I'm just trying to picture it in terms of one of our trial running races. Um, Dungala. Which is hosted at Dungala. No, you won't know. It's the yes. other side. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, quite a, I think it must be a half-hour drive. 
So if you go up the thousand stairs, if you kept going yep. and popped over the other side, that's a basin. Yeah, okay. Well, it's not far then. So no, 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 it's in there. Just for those listening in from Melbourne. And so I grew up down in Old Rage. It's a magnificent area. So a little bit of adventure sort of instilled in you from a young age in addition to cross-country running and and then, the, yeah, the travel. So getting back to the travel, um, did you actually want to have a strong desire to get out there and see different cultures in the world or was it more about the rafting adventures and the, that kind of came first? The rafting and adventures came first, but that was like my stepping stone out. So I bought a one-way ticket. I didn't, like yep. I didn't know, like I said, I don't like to plan and know what I'm doing really. So I just bought a one-way ticket and from um, pretty much went with the flow from there. So I had a ticket to from Nepal to um, UK and then yep. from that it was just, you know, ad lib. I just went with the flow. Yeah. As you're typical, you would have been about 23, 24 by yeah, this stage. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. Um, so did you end up going to the UK after India? I did, yeah. So I met up with some uh, some friends there that I used to go to school with in in Melbourne and the day I arrived I found a garbage truck and um, the next next day I had a job as a garbo. So I worked as a garbo in the UK for a while, um, saved up a bit of money. How did that go with the colder mornings? Oh, look, it was okay. Yeah, it was because you're running, um, just your hands get yeah. cold, but. They were great, and you know, it was lots of fun. It's a great, it's imagine, a great job. I imagine the volume of rubbish was a little bit bigger in London compared to Melbourne. Uh, I mean, having lived in London for two years, I've seen their rubbish <laughs> and the problems they've had. <laughs> Look, um, I, for me, I didn't ne necessarily notice the volumes of rubbish so much. It was more the tightness of the streets and cars. Oh, yeah. So, like in the suburbs here, you know, the car, you know, we all have driveways and, well, mostly because I, I worked in the suburbs. So, most people had driveways. So, our streets are pretty clear. But in London, the streets are chockers with cars. So, it was more of a negotiating cars and corners than it was the rubbish load itself. Yeah. And again, based on activity. So, it's a job that's <laughs> very demanding on the body. You yeah. Know, if someone said, Diana, hey, we've got this. This nice little cushy job in accounts receivable. How do you think you would have taken that? Well, my second job over in London was um, in an, uh, like a white goods sales area. But I, on saying that, I at that time was really really sick, so that was perfect for me. <laughs> but, oh, so um, a little bit, a little bit of respite. Yeah, that's right. So, but at that time, I'd you know I bought a bike and I'd ride to work, work, ride home, um, and then you know sleep and then get up in the afternoon and get back to work, um, you know, my life again. But, yeah, it was great. I loved yeah. it. I loved living in London. It was really good fun. But my main reason for living in London was getting some more money behind me so I could travel again. Yeah, and did that and ended up in Africa next, was it? Yeah, well, first I went to – I rode a bike around Scotland, um, then came back and then I met up with another – You friend. literally just bought a bike and rode around Scotland? Well, yeah, it was, it was the same bike that I was using to get to work, but I trained, yep. uh, transported it up to Edinburgh and then got off. I was on a bus, I think, in Edinburgh. I got off the bus and then just rode around Scotland. Um, all through the highlands, everywhere, all yeah, up yep. through the north. Um, I that did would get, have been spectacular. Oh, did you get great. some photography from that, uh, that particular adventure? I did, but, like, I was by myself, so 
it was yeah. nice, but I, I, I like to share, I've, you know, I've discovered I really like to share that sort of adventure with people. So it was, it was kind of really lonely. Um, yep. So I, some people work really well like that, but I, I just got really lonely actually. So I realised I, I like companion travelling better than seeing well, it. Yeah. Sorry, in that, on, on that trip in particular because there's just, you know, you're on a bike for long periods of time and then I live, you know, I was travelling on the cheap as well. So, you know, I just had my little bivy bag and I'd pull up and I'd, I'd just sleep in a bivy bag and then, you know, get up the next morning and go again. So oh, I got really lonely actually. And what time of the year was this in Scotland? Um, I don't actually remember, but I imagine it wasn't winter. So I, I'm going to guess summer. Even their summer is, you know, that could be winter for most people. So yeah, well, yeah. I imagine that was quite challenging. I've, I've been back to Scotland a couple of times since. And yeah, you're right, because I did go in summer and it was still very cold. So yeah, yeah. Oh, that's incredible. I, I, all the research I did, I didn't hear about that one. So have you spoken about that before? I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. I tell you know I, to, I I love Scotland. I re, it's so beautiful, and that's why I've been back a couple of times since. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, probably not. And then after getting back from Scotland, I rode from Netherlands down to Spain, uh, Spain, as well, yep. um, and then across to Morocco. And, and then, this is the this is before apps and. Um, Airbnb and Bookings.com, and we just is, ro rolling before, up to people's houses, and yeah, this is before um, any sort of internet accessibility. This is this is night. probably before Lonely Planet itself, was it? Oh no, no, Lonely Planet, Lonely Planet was around, but I didn't use it for that. I just, like I said, I didn't stay in hotels or bed and breakfasts. I, I would often yeah. just pull up in and sleep in a haystack, or I have slept in a graveyard. Um, in a graveyard yeah yeah or I'll just get I find like like someone's shed and then sleep in that or find some corrugated iron and put it up against something and sleep under that so um, and then I'd also um, my, I tried to like survive off the land so the food that I saw growing on the side of the road I'd sort of so this is mushrooms and weeds and oh, no, all sorts of plants like and you know there's farmers paddocks too <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I had oh, okay. Been, so yeah, yeah. So like you know, if it was apple season, I'd you know collect apples and um, chestnuts and radishes and you know it was all through France and and you know yeah. And also like I have been known to maybe remove roadkill off the road and have a bit of a cook up. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, were you total vegetarian, vegan, or was it? No, no, I was I was a meat eater back then. So yeah. So a little lit a campfire literally on the side of the road, find a little spot. Yep. And have some roadkill for dinner. Oh, however it worked out for the day. <laughs> <laughs> and still only aged what twenty four by this stage? Yeah, twenty four, that's right. Yep. It's I, I wanna keep going with the Scotland story for some reason. <laughs> I reckon <laughs> there's probably a, a whole entire podcast episode just on your travels around Scotland. So you've you've obviously been there then to know yeah, I've been to Edinburgh, one of my favourite countries. So, yeah, yeah, it's uh, family heritage is mostly in Scotland as well. So, okay. it's just cool. 
something about the place. So. Oh, it's beautiful. It's, 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 it drew me back there again and again. So, yeah. And that. how did you go riding through the highlands? Because they can get pretty steep. I mean, they're not massive in terms of altitude, and but it gets pretty cold and pretty gnarly up there, doesn't it? It does, yeah. Um, I don't remember it being um, at that on that trip being particularly bad, so I must have just timed the weather well. That's all I can remember. Just a couple of humps in the road. <laughs> <laughs> Those little mountains, no problem. Yeah. yeah. And then on, onwards to Spain. So... It, at what point did you go to Africa? Uh, so after that, um, I ditched my bike. In, I think I left it in France. I left it somewhere. I can't even remember where I left it. I just left it and then um, hitchhiked back to uh, pretty much UK via trucks and um, caught up with my best friend from school and that's when we headed off to Africa, which would have been 1994, um, early 19, oh, late, late 1993. No, late, late 1993 <laughs> still, yeah. So about the age of, yeah, you're still, no, 20, still 23. actually. Still 23, yeah. Yeah, because I remember having Christmas in um, Africa. Okay. My first Christmas. And obviously they've had their internal conflicts and, well, they still are in Africa. How was it at, in the 80s? This is odd, sorry, but 90s. this is the 90s. Yeah. Um, I, I loved Africa, just loved it. Um. I don't know what it is about the country, but I just uh, the way of life there and uh, just the pace of life, and that's when I, that's actually when I got rid of my watch when I was traveling through Africa, just because of I just realized how much we here in um, in in Australia just like everything's by time, and you know you got to it's all time driven. We're in Africa; it's just like life driven which is i just loved and i you know yeah so a little bit similar to asia parts of south southeast asia yeah that's right and i just recently been to fiji and i think the fijians just have the fijians have it worked out they've like their the land is you know so bountiful of food um and just so lush and the villages are beautiful and their life is is based around the village and they have enough food and oh man I've not I've never heard um communities laugh as much as I have when I was traveling through Fiji just the happiness you know the happiness that radiates from life when it's not so complex as we make it yeah we we certainly do make it complicated yeah, yeah. and that goes back to your original philosophy you know without um, timing devices and the Garmin watch and all the latest tech and all the latest gear. I can see how that stuff must just drive you crazy. Oh, it's, uh, computers. Like my phone I've worked out, but anything else just becomes too complex for me as, you know, trying to get this podcast working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> see my dilemmas. <laughs> tough. Uh, what is it? World's tough, toughest motto five years in a row. But... When it comes to Google Chrome, a few problems. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I can't. I don't know which button to press. No, we got it going in the end, so it was yeah. all good. At uh, Africa, so you you met, you had a boyfriend in Africa. I did, yeah. So um, uh, when I headed off to Africa, like my, I didn't know. Once again, I didn't really. I had an open ended ticket, so I could. I didn't have a return date. 
Um, Me and my best friend headed off and we travelled for a few months together and then one of her friends came across, so a group of three and just, you know, group of two is good. Group of three became really kind of hard travelling. So I just said, look, guys, I'm I'm heading off on my own. Um, So we travelled by that time. We'd gone through Kenya, Uganda. She arrived when we were travelling through Uganda and then by uh, Tanzania. Tanzania, um, I, we split ways and I just travelled on my own. Um, in Africa, yep. I, I was fine travelling on my own in Africa because there's just so many people around. Um, mm. You don't get lonely, you know, I'm, uh, I guess I wasn't on a bike by myself for days on end. So um, I really, really love travelling by myself through Africa. Um, when you're in a group of two or three, people kind of leave you alone and you're just left to your own devices. But when you're one, people are more open to inviting you into their homes, um, more open to speak to you. And I, I really love that because I, I got to know um, the Af- Africa at a more urban level. Um, yeah. Yeah. And through that I ended up in Balawi um, staying with an African family, which was great. Um, they had no running water, no electricity. It was a little mud hut, tin roof. So it was very raw and I, I liked, whilst I can never fit into Africa because of my white skin, blonde hair, blue eyes, at least I was kind of yeah. living. I wasn't a tourist looking in. I was actually living living kind of like the life. Um, and it was when I was yeah, in that village. culture and values. That's right. And like going to the markets yeah. each day, eating the food they eat, um, you know, yeah, just living the life as close to it as I could. Um, but it was when I was living in that village that I, um, you know, fell for one of the local guys. And it was something, um, you know, I, it wasn't planned, obviously. Um, when I left um, London, I went to the Travellers um, Travelers Advice Centre and they're like, you know, they talk, talked about HIV and AIDS over in Africa and the risks associated and, you know, I said, you know, if you, they said take condoms with you. We had all like the typhoid or whatever else, all the shots, and they said take condoms with you. And I said, like, I'm not an idiot. I'm not going to have a relationship over in Africa. Like, yeah. Um, and that was my, you know, that's that's how what I thought. So, but, you know, time there and, and then in this village I felt, you know, just happens. Um, yeah. yeah. Young and meet someone that you, you really like. and That's right, yeah. And, you know, it'd been a while. <laughs> been travelling for a while <laughs> at that stage. Yeah. Um, yeah, so and young and virile. Um, so, yeah, I started a relationship with this guy and, sure, I knew of HIV and AIDS and but, you know, I, I just didn't think that that would happen to me. So... Um, so it was still a far-off concept for you? Like sure, it was yeah. in the day and age when I think they had the Grim Reaper on the ads here yeah. on TV? I was just a young kid I think when those ads were on TV. 86 or 84, 86, I think that Grim Reaper ad came out. Yeah, and, yeah. I remember seeing it as a kid. So I must have sat on the air for a while, but it was absolutely terrifying. So Yeah, but I guess it was it's, terrifying, but it wasn't real, like, you know. Yeah, I couldn't relate that to the guy I was seeing. You know, he t- he wasn't a grim reaper. He was the guy I loved. So yeah, is unrelatable ad to anything. Like it just put fear in yeah. us, but didn't put didn't make us connect with risk. 
yeah, there was no kind of education behind it, was there? No, there wasn't. <laughs> so even, you found that, so yeah. Even if education was behind it, like still, you know. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, still someone you love and yeah, still I wanted probably, to be with. That's right, probably would have followed the same path that I did. Yeah. And so you, you contracted HIV in Africa? That's right. Well, I didn't know it at the time, yeah. but I did get very, very sick over there um, and um, started with fevers and then chills and then, like, the worst flu that I could imagine. All my glands came up and... I lost about 20 kilos of weight and I just, yeah, I just got, just deteriorated and I just, I went to the doctors there and they couldn't help me. So I, I left my family, I left my boyfriend and headed back to England. Um, and this is back, this is in a time when you're basically condemned, aren't you? Like there was no real cure at the time? At the time, no right? cure. So this is 19, uh, infected in uh 1994 so when I when I finally came back and got the diagnosis yeah they just said you know there's nothing we can do to help you um if you last five years you're a long-term survivor um yeah see you later so that was and it. so you didn't tell your family or you, you just took uh, off back straight to, away no I had um yeah. pre and post-test counseling and the counselor said while you're traveling don't like, don't tell your parents over the phone. They said, wait till you get back home. Well, you can yep. chat to them face-to-face. They can see you're okay. Well, you know, <laughs> what, ex- yeah. what extent of okay is. Um, yeah, so I didn't tell them straight away. Um, I told my yep. cousin, who was my um, same age as me, uh-huh. um, who I, at that stage when I came back from Africa I, I, was, I stayed with. So I told her um, and that was kind of it. Yeah, it was yeah, it must have been just such a incredibly isolating and like you had a bit of experience with isolation in Scotland by the sounds of it. Yeah. And so, then again with this, like yeah, it. I guess like, the most isolating time for me was um, so when I came back from Africa, I um, they took blood tests and all and that's when I requested the HIV test. Uh, the next day they called me and they said I had malaria um, so I went to hospital. I was in the tropical disease hospital over there. Um, I had malaria and also a parasitic pneumonia, um, and I was probably seroconverting with HIV at the same time. So um, seroconverting um, is when your body is um, has a virus and is still adapting to it. So it goes a bit crazy, um, and your immune yeah. system gets blown away, and the virus takes over your body. Um, and it's this period of time of unwellness. So, you know, I was going through that and I was in the hospital there for two weeks. Once again, no mobile phones, no internet, no communications, no Snapchat, no FaceTime, no, no. nothing, no, nothing. Scott. And I was in a hospital with by myself, so sick. Like you can imagine, like HIV positive, malaria, pneumonia. Mm. I was just so sick and... That, that was um, a pretty scary time. I had a lot of time to think about dying and death and that's when I didn't even know my, my status. So I just knew I was very, very unwell. And, you know, HIV had gone through my mind but still I thought, nah, surely, you can't, <laughs> surely not me, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, I just can't get my head around that. Although I could try a factor of 
three of the scariest diseases going around. Oh, I had the HIV. Yeah. Something else. Malaria and typhoid, was it? No, no, no. Uh, malaria, pneumo- um, parasitic pneumonia, pneumonia. HIV. And pneumonia. I also um, picked up another thing, which I didn't get found out <laughs> um, a couple of years later. It was called Bilharzia or cystosismosis, which is a, um, a bug that gets in your feet and it gets in your feet. I don't know how it gets in your body. I think through your skin anyway and then um, – causes lots of um, problems, which were found later um, when I was back in 1996 when I was back in Australia. So, yeah, I had like I think everything you can get in Africa I possibly got. You've, you've had it. You've <laughs> yeah. ticked all the boxes. The boxes. Yeah, great. That's oh, unbelievable. So at what point did you start getting better or that just? Uh, that was a while. Did it probably say you got better or you just? No, I didn't get better for a, a long time because. Yeah. Because I was so sick and had so many complications, my recovery was took ages and there was no HIV medication available. So, you know, it was my immune system that had been absolutely wrecked trying to, you know, trying to get back on top of itself. So I didn't want to go home. I just thought once I go back to Australia, that's it. You know, I, I won't be able to get money and travel again. So I just wanted to keep travelling, um, which I yep. did um, until 1994. Five, and then I came back to Australia, um, and not until 1996, which I was um, diagnosed once again with a AIDS-defining illness in 1996, and that's uh, soon after that um, we had access to HIV medication, and that's when right, my life so cha- that's when I yeah my life changed then. So that came just in time. Yeah, it did actually. Yep. Um, we'll come back to 1996 in a minute. Uh, so you went back to England, recovered, and then you went. You returned to Africa to travel some more. That's right. Is that right? Yeah. It's at this point, so just to top it off, you've got all these diseases. I understand you got kidnapped with your cousin. That's right, yeah. So um, we went, um, we started travelling Kenya and and. My, well, like our uh, loose agenda was to travel. Um, my cousin wanted to go up to Ethiopia, so we were going to travel through Ethiopia and then she was going to go back um, to England to work and I was going to travel back down to Malawi, catch up um, with my boyfriend there and sort of let him know what had gone on. So that was the plan. So this is, you know, plans don't work well for me too well. Um, yeah. So that was our loose agenda. So we travelled through Kenya for a couple of months, oh, I think a month, and then we went to Ethiopia. And this was in 1994, 1995, and the borders had only just opened to tourists. So back in 1993 they'd had that crazy drought and um, political war and political famine and it was was a bit of a mess. but yeah, they're being they, starved to death, basically, weren't they? That's Somebody. right. Yeah, Polit- and it was all political as well. Like you know, they're withholding yep. the because some of the country is so rich and fertile, and others is desert. And when they when they withhold the food from one part to the other, it's a good way. Yeah, it's you know, the way they get rid of different tribes and different powers and that sort of stuff. So that had happened in 1993. We crossed the border in 1995, me and my cousin. Um, We only planned to be there for a couple of weeks, but it was so fascinating. Ethiopia was just so raw and so fascinating and the tribes and the cultures, 
like from north to south and east to west were all different. So like down in the south they wore skins, if anything, and scarred their body and decorative headpieces and very tribal. And up in north they were the hair was long and, you know, barely curly and yeah. olive skin and gowns and then go west and there's a lot of um, Muslim influence. So it was... And this is a window back into the way things used to be. Yeah, basically. and it was just, it just was so fascinating that we decided just to keep travelling and travelling. We we spent a good couple of months there, um, and I had a fantastic time. Like it was, it was just crazy. But we we did have an yep. incident where we, we were down in, particularly it was meant to be a safe area, and we had been in unsafe areas. So I can't say you know we followed all the rules. Um, but this area yep. was particularly meant to be safe, um, and we'd we'd um, just got a, I guess, wrong place, wrong time. But we'd gone into a very small village that only had transport once a week, and we missed that transport, so we hiked in. Um, and it was a market day at that time, so when you've uh, Ethiopia is so when when one government is in there's one army and then when a new government takes over a new army comes in because they're different tribes so all that ex-army people no one wants them anymore because they're a different tribe they're not in power anymore and they just get exiled so these army groups are like live on boundaries they survive through you know when money comes into a market they they pillage they they, they um, hijack buses, they steal, you know, and it's just survival. Like when you're, yeah. you, your body will do anything to survive. Like you would just, you would do whatever it takes to survive and that's what these people are doing. And it's unfortunate we were sort of in that village at that time. Um, yep. But they got wind that we were there and, of course, you know, white people are bring you know, money. They see us as money and... Anyway, they um, hunted us down. It was night time by the time, you know, by the time they sort of come looking for us um, and they first beat us. They held bayonets to our heads and rifles and then beat us and then um, took us out, you know, away from the village. Um, and, like, I don't think I've ever been so scared in my life, as you could imagine. And my cousin said to me, we're going to die. And I said, no, we'll be all right. Um, but I was, you know, <laughs> I could I could only imagine like just being raped and killed and put in a hole somewhere and sort of left to rot. That was kind of going through my head. Um, but you know, always the obvious. Yep. No, no, we'll be right. <laughs> we'll get through this. Um, but also, and I don't know what went down necessarily, but the Ethiopian army, the current army, was in the area at the same time. So the current. This is all at night. So. And I, out in the middle of a desert kind of area. So we were walking along at gunpoint, um, and then uh, the, the that all I know is it sounded like fireworks going off. So we both dropped to the ground, um, and the fireworks continued for a long time, and then it went silent. So I lay there silent for a while, and then. Um, sort of looked around, no one was there anymore and sort of said to my, my cousin, you know, it's okay, we can get up now, I think we're okay. 
and she didn't respond and that's when I rolled her over and, yeah, she'd copped a couple of bullets. So, yeah, that was, um, yeah, crazy times. And it took yeah, a that long was just... yeah. Sorry. I'll let you continue. Yeah. <laughs> um, from that point, uh, and it wasn't easy to get back to, it took a long time for me to get from that point back to um, Addis Ababa, the capital, um, to contact my family, her family, etc. So, because once again, it's survival for them. It's easy to put a bullet in my head and just pretend it didn't happen and put, you know, put us in a hole somewhere because I'm a liability if they've killed tourists, you know, if they've killed the Ethiopian army. I don't know whose bullets hit who, but yep. yeah, so the Ethiopian army found us and then they, there's lots of yelling and carrying on all that sort of stuff. But anyway, eventually I got back to a few, a few days later, I got back to um, the capital where I was able to contact um, the Canadian embassy and then my parents and stuff like that. So, yeah. So there's, yeah, it's just, again, just an incredible story. How old was Danielle at the time? She was the same age as myself, yeah. Yep. So 20. Yeah, just, yeah. I mean, these are the moments that define you, I guess, and even amongst all the trouble, you still had an optimistic attitude like you were kind of saying, everything will be okay. Uh, look, yeah, you've got, well, you've got to, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, a lot of people I think would want to just get home, um, get back to Australia, but get back to family and friends. Is that what you did? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to go home. I just, yep. I just had enough and I was just... There was nothing, there was, I don't even know how to describe it. I was, I'd not given up, but I was just like, I have nothing left to do anything but just to go home and be safe. Yeah. Yeah. So I, did, I didn't go straight oh. home. I, I flew with the body back to England. The body, they didn't, uh, because the body took four or five days before it was treated, they wouldn't allow Danielle into Australia. So she was flown into London where she was cremated and then she was taken, the ashes I think were taken back. Um, okay. Yeah, so I sort of followed that process as well just so when um, her parent, her mum met me over in England. So I spent some time with her mum and her sister um, and then, yeah, flew on home. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. So got home, things returned. I imagine it took quite a while to get back to normal. Uh, look, there's no normal. Um, yeah. I don't know. I couldn't even describe what normal was. Uh, my health wasn't great because travelling through Ethiopia, like it's, I picked up, um, uh, what is it called, amoebic dysentery, giardia. So, you know, that was uh, in my body. Um, uh, yeah, and also, you know, who who knows what other stomach parasites because we just, when you travel like that, you've just, you drink, you know, you, you see the water that you're drinking is just full of, I mean, it's not the stuff that you see that's bad normally, but, yeah, it's just you eat what you can get and you drink what you can get. There's no, when you're living on those sort of, uh, I don't know, yeah, we're living at grass, grass root level, so there was no grass, just at dirt level, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, so my body Correct. was full of stuff and um i wasn't well um 
and all yeah. sorts of parasites and airborne yeah. diseases. And- my stomach was just a mess for a long time. Um, and my yeah. health, you know, I was still battling, you know, this virus was in my body and still trying to take take over and I'd been travelling and, yeah, and emotionally spent, physically spent. Um, so, yeah, normal, you know, I don't know. I don't think normal ever returned. It's kind of good now because I, I like not normal, but yeah, yeah. some you know You've there's a time that I just wanted peace and I couldn't find peace. Yeah, I guess not long after you had your first baby, so you, your daughter came <laughs> along a, a couple few, of years later. Of, yeah, there's a bit of gap there, so um, just hashing over a three year period. But yeah, yeah, yeah I had a baby. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So in 1996, I got access to medication. Um, which that changed my life. So yeah, I, I was living but waiting to die. Like I oh, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. returning to 1996. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I, I was just moving through life. There was no goals. There was no. There was dreams, but you know they were all mushed. So with yep. in, in possibilities. So I was just living. But when I had access to medication and my body responded. Like life came back again, so I just thought I'm gonna, man, I I think I'm gonna live through this. Um, and it was still very early days, but I thought well, I'm just gonna grab the bull by the horns and start living again because, yep, I'm well and my body's responding and um, I'm feeling stronger again. And so it, it took a lot while before I became um, an athlete, but certainly I you know, dabbled in, started running and got a bike again and all that sort of stuff. And, like, a run for me would be 3 or 4K, so still small but it was a step. Um, anyway, I, I became a Garbo again. <laughs> went back to so you're back to <laughs> Went back to being a Garbo. But it was Garbo all, in Australia, Garbo in the UK and then returned. Yeah, but it was, Garbo. Um, it was with the one arm, we're called the one-armed bandits, so... You didn't run yep. behind a garbage truck anymore. You just pulled a lever around. So once again, suited me at that <laughs> time because I wasn't fit, physically fit enough to run behind a garbage truck. So at this point, yeah. yeah. So I got a bit of work and um, met a guy through work, and uh, eventually um, had a baby to him. So that was, you know, that's another yep. whole story in itself but um you know with disclosure yeah. disclosure of your status and negotiating pregnancy and um you know working with doctors that are against you know women with living with hiv to have they you know saying that ethically i shouldn't be allowed to have that a uh, child and um you know making all those trying to make all those decisions for me saying that i wouldn't live long enough to be a mother and all that sort of stuff so um, yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know, it's another story in itself. But uh, we found my HIV specialist was great. She was an expert in HIV and pregnancy, and she just was so encouraging and helped us along the way when we finally found her. So that was great. And yeah, 11th of May, 1998, little girl was born, and she's now 21. Wow. 21 now. Yeah, so. I know. And I, I used to think when I'm growing up fast. When, if I made it to see her reach 18, that, you know, that would be a pretty amazing thing. And now she's 21. So, 
Who knew? I've done it by three years. So <laughs> I know. I'm going to keep going. Congratulations to you. Yeah, thank you. So uh, 21 this year? Oh, she's turned already, yeah. So she'll be 21 in May, she was. In May, yeah. Mm. Well, that's – I wouldn't be betting against you, I don't think, if I was a betting <laughs> man. In 1996, was it, when you had your, your daughter? Oh, 1998. 1998, you had your daughter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 1996 got access to medication, which I'm so still after, on. You know, I'm on a different regime of medication, but it's what keeps yeah. myself and many people alive and living full, healthy, strong lives where um, our infection, like the HIV, is not infectious. Um, when we're on the medication, we can't infect another person. Um, yep. Yeah, it's great. It's just fantastic. Yeah, it's incredible oh, and to, it, for it to happen in the mid-90s. Like it was an epidemic there for a while, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was um, wiping out entire communities in Africa. and People were dying left, right and centre, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's incredible. And how long would you say from getting diagnosed with HIV to getting better? Like what was that period? You're talking a couple of years? I was diagnosed. I contracted the virus in 1994, diagnosed in 1994. Oh, is that right? I can't even remember. <laughs> Maybe I yeah. contracted, no, I contracted it in 1993, diagnosed in 1994, um, and I had AIDS in 1996. So I, it took two years for me to get AIDS, um, and then medication became available in 1997. So I had it for three years before. I, I knew I was going to live with the virus as opposed to right. just hanging out with it. So you really got used to looking death in the eye basically. You, you, it wasn't a day that went by that you didn't take for granted during yeah, those look, years, I, I imagine. I didn't take life for granted but I, uh, you know, every day I, I just thought about this ugly virus that was in my body. Every day, like yep. it'd be forefront in my mind. I felt ugly. I felt, I felt damaged. I felt worthless. Yeah, I just felt the yep. virus made me feel. Oh well, I allowed the virus to make me feel um, worthless. I guess yeah. ashamed. I felt stupid. Um, yeah, I didn't. Yeah. The the only good that came from it was that I, you know, I valued life more and appreciated life more and appreciated all the beautiful things around me that I used to take for granted. But as far as myself, my self esteem, everything was shot. Like, yeah, there was no love for me. Yeah. yeah. And there's still no no hint of adventure racing from about 1998 <laughs> right up to 2005 you had your, your baby girls and you had a baby boy who's That's now right. six foot three yeah he's massive he's uh, a born, uh, uh yeah, born so 2003 so you, you, you're running off and on during this period uh so in 2000 i started um being personally trained to reclaim my body my body had wasted so much um i found a personal yep. trainer and my then I became a personal trainer um, and just is when I started building muscle and being fit that, that I actually thought I had some control over my body and I started, I guess I guess started loving myself more because I, I had control of what was going on. Um, sport, like, yeah, pr prior to sport I was, I don't know, I didn't find I had strength but when I started 
becoming strong. Um, yeah, I just, I know, I just, it empowered me. Um, yep. And then I saw the flyer for the Anaconda Adventure Race in Lawn, I think it was 2005, and I just looked at it and yeah. I went, oh, this buzz of electricity went through me like I hadn't felt You before. felt that. Oh, my gosh. And every yeah. day whenever I thought of it, I felt this rush through my body. Um, and I looked at it and I went, I'm going to win this race. And I, I was so set that I was going to win this race. But the first year, that was in 2005, I'd come off my HIV medications and I developed AIDS again. So I ended up um, in hospital with PCP pneumonia, which is an AIDS-defining illness. Um, and yeah. that just rocked my world and in a bad way. And I, I, since yeah. then, I, I just said, oh, I'm not going to try and fight this <laughs> fight HIV by myself. I'm actually not that strong. Um, so I've been on medications ever since. But um, so in 2006, I I remember rocking up to the come and try day. So I borrowed, I hired a bike from a bike shop. I hired a, a mm -hmm. boat from um, a canoe shop and went down to lawn for the come and try day. And I was, they had like, the swim I was okay. And then we did the bike ride and I, I did, like the bike was, the chain kept falling off. And I remember Sam Maffet waiting on the corner for me. I, <laughs> I didn't know, like, yeah, and I was on this Gumby bike and I was the last person off the bike ride. Um, the run yeah. again, I was okay in the boat. Like this is my second time ever in the, I'd been in the bay on a boat but not in the ocean. And yep. so I was just so freaked out by it all. But um. Yes, yeah, so that was a come and try day and I, I still thought, yeah, yeah, I'll be right. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I, I went down to the, like like I said, I lived and breathed it. I was just so pumped um, and I rocked up at the race and I I, um, I competed but I had all my food and electrolytes wrong and it was, it was pretty messy but um, I came through th a seventh but I, that was just. Seventh like, overall. Seventh woman, not outright, yeah, seventh woman. Yep. Um, but I just, I was determined that I would, I'd, I'd get there, you know, I'd, I'd make it to the top. It was actually a good wake-up call because I thought I could still, <laughs> I could just still rock <laughs> up and win. Uh, I realised I needed a bit more work. A little um, bit I of still, training and yeah, preparation. I still, I still hired a boat for that race. I think I'd bought a bike. I wasn't wearing bike shoes still. Oh, no, I bought bike shoes, but um, I bought them not to fit me. I bought them four sizes bigger because um, my son's dad wanted to ride too, so he bought the shoes and I was allowed to ride them. <laughs> it's, it's very funny. <laughs> it's very weird. So, and when you say boat, you mean kayak or? Uh, sit on top, endorphin, yep. sit on top, yeah, a little plastic. Okay. Thing, yep. yeah. And this was the days when they sent us out in the ocean along the yeah, coast down to Cumberland and stuff. So, yeah, pretty crazy. I've seen photos of that race. That was one of the original races for yeah. rapid ascent. Oh my gosh, crazy, crazy! <laughs> I think waves, crazy backwash. Yeah, but John was actually telling me about it the other day. That first race, and it was initially supposed to be a four-day adventure, I think. And he said, said to his mates at the time, "We better do a." A one-day adventure race just to give it a try and see what the see what the reception is. I think a thousand people showed up for that race at lawn. Would that be right? Oh, it was massive. 
There was team. <laughs> it was buzzing. Lawn was uh, just the highlight of the year. It was just, it was like end of the year. I think it was December. I think schoolies had just finished and everyone, like the whole town was pumping with bikes and boats and athletes and hype. And <laughs> it was awesome. Like it was awesome. And I like I go to an adventure race now here in Victoria, and I go, what what happened? Like what happened to adventure racing? Yeah, it's just what it was, and what it is now is yeah. totally different. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But yeah, it was. Well, you can't comprehend just how big and how exciting and how how hyped everyone was. Yeah, yeah Sam and John tell me about the days when Anaconda and um, even Augusta as well used to get sold out within an hour. Yeah, or Augusta less. just went off. Like Anaconda, like in, in Lawn was big, but Augusta, I think, yeah, within an hour gone. Yeah, yeah that's incredible. Yeah. I'll come back to, I want to ask you about your opinion of adventure racing in a minute. But <laughs> um, so 2005, you saw the ad for the Anaconda race and after this is probably your th age 35, 36 by yeah, this point. Right. Yep. Uh, two kids, so a single mum or uh, you had a partner? I had a partner, yep. My had a partner at the time. I was with my Two son, kids, yep. I imagine a job day to day, pretty demanding schedule. Yep. But it, you really hit your straps in terms of adventure racing and went on to win multiple, multiple races. Did you really amp up the training side of it or did well, it just take a few little tweaks? Uh, I did. Look, I, I, to to win you've got to be good on, on everything. So I was good in the water swimming. I was good running, mountain biking. I was, you know, I picked that up because I just loved it so much. But my paddle was really weak. And John Jacoby said to me, if you want to win these things, get a good boat and learn to stay in it. Yeah, was, you know, that was his word because he knew, like, I was strong, 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 paddle, like, right out the back again. So he knew what yep. I needed and best advice because that's what I did. I bought a good boat and I learnt to stay in yep. it and I learnt to paddle it and I'll just take it out, whatever the condition was, I'll just take it out and just get over it. Like, and then it got to a stage yeah. I, didn't, I didn't care what the weather was doing. I'd jump in my boat and just smile just and... Let the sea hit my face and the wind blow me left, right, and centre, and I just I conquered it. Yeah. And then where, I, where did you train? At the time, I was living out in Bentley, um, oh, yeah. near the beach, near Brighton. So I um, put my boat in at boat in. At, depending on how bad the weather was, sometimes at Sandridge. No, no, not Sandridge. Sorry. Um, Brighton. There's an Alward. No, next to one along from Alward. What's that? Sandringham. Uh, Sandringham. 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 Yeah. Yep. So Sandringham had nice um, um, thing, a nice area for boats. So you could put your boat in, and if it was really rough, you can sort of head out, and then just like the water got worse and worse as you just went out. It. So I was yeah. able to get in, warm up, and then just get out in it. So yeah, that's where I went. And Are you heading out down towards Sorrento, or? Uh, it, whatever way the, the wind, I learnt very quickly. First you go into the wind and then you come home against. Come home with yeah, the wind. Because <laughs> once I didn't do that and I was still in my plastic, I went downwind first and then come back into the wind and it was I didn't move very quick. So I learnt, yeah. 
learned yeah, that was, pretty quickly. Sorry? Learned that, learned that pretty quickly, yeah, plus yeah. some good advice from John. Oh, great advice. And that's so. when, when I did that, when I got a good boat and learned to stay in it, that's when I started started winning. So you started started winning races and then fast-forwarding to about 2012, I think you discovered uh, the world's toughest mudder. That's right, obstacle racing. Yeah. Was that another sort of brochure moment that you just saw a flyer and you I thought you'd better enter? I heard it on the radio, or? actually. I heard on Tough Mudder, <laughs> yeah, and I thought, what's this Tough Mudder? And then I Googled it and I went, oh, my gosh, running and obstacles. I love this because I love – what I love about adventure racing is you don't know what's going to be around the corner. You don't know – you know, I love the element of surprise. Um, triathlon, yeah. you know, it's all predictable. You know, and if the water's too rough, they cancel it, blah, blah, blah. I won't go any further. But adventure racing, yeah. it's like just bring it on. You know, whatever happens, yep. you know, the water might be flat or it might be big water or the, it might be raining or whatever. It just all mushes up and I love it. Um, and obstacle racing yep. was kind of the same, like unknown obstacles. Um, and I, I like and I think um, one of my strengths is I'm quite adaptable. So, um I can work out things and get through them pretty easily. So um, when I yep. Googled Tough Mudder, I heard I saw world's toughest mudder. So that's what drew me. The Tough Mudder was just like this stepping stone to this 24-hour mud race. And once again, I think I'm going to win this race. I can win this race. I had a look at sort of the past competitors, the distances they got. I did all my research and I went, yeah, I'm going to go across and nail this thing. Yeah. So yeah, it's um, obviously incredible success on the adventure circuit and I guess life on the up and things going well and then another setback. So 2016. Yeah, um, 2016, diagnosed with felt a lump. Yeah. Um, I actually found my body deteriorating 2015. So up to 2015, I was 45 at this time. I was on fire. So you, you actually felt that? You were right in tune with what was happening oh, with your totally. body and you felt... Something happening? Yep. yep. So up uh, up until early um, 2015, I was just on fire. Like I felt amazing. I could flick gears, you know, I could run from running strong to run hard to drop back again. I could just play around with my races, play around with people in the races. Yeah. Um, I was just, just feeling amazing. And I'd be racing over in America and, like, winning these races against all their pro girls and stuff. And I was just – I was a bit, like – yeah, you know, I know I've never taken it for granted, but I was just overwhelmed with like how how does this happen? Like how can I be forty five years old, yeah. living with HIV all these years and beating the best chicks in America? Like what? <laughs> and then I was like accused. This is of, Amelia uh, Boone and all that sort of stuff and whatever. Yeah. Um, and all of a sudden it ground to a stop. So I'd race and I'd just have one gear and I'd train and it hurt. Everything hurt when I was training. And I just remember yep. saying to my buddy, I was saying, like, everything hurts. I can't, I'm, I'm just, everything's hard work. And when I'm racing, like it's hard and I can't change gears and I, I just grind. Everything was just a grind. Um, and that was latter end of 2015. And my results started reflecting that as well. So this wasn't like when you were doing your cross-country races as a kid. I know you used to 
you used to pass out when you crossed the finish line. They yeah, started to really get to know you and knew that you would push it to the absolute limit. It was a different feeling to that. Oh, totally different feeling. Yeah, totally. It's like I had no, yeah. I couldn't even go hard. Like my body wouldn't go hard. It's like I just, couldn't yeah, even push to get, there was just nothing. It was, yep. yeah, I don't know. I, I can only describe it as that I had, everything was just hard work, but not like I wouldn't be puffing hard or. Anything else, just my body wasn't responding to what I wanted to do. Yeah, my results. So you went and, went and saw a doctor at this point? or uh, So I had a couple of things going on. First I had um, something that I'd been ignoring for a while, which was a, um, a fibroid that started off really quite small and grown into the size of a melon, weighed 1.6 kilos, and it was in my uterus. So that was sucking a bit of life out of me and I was, uh, became quite anemic as a result of that. So that probably explains one part of it. So I had that yep. removed in early 2016. And then um, sort of – I didn't mean to, but um, a team in mid-2000 – that would happen in January, February. I had two months recovery from that, like with, with no running or anything, so – April, um, and then in June, um, someone needed someone to do an adventure race in China, and I look. I explained that I was a bit out of condition, but you know I would get through anyway. So I went over there, um, and when I was racing over there, that's when I found the lump in my breast, and I just thought, hey, this doesn't feel right. But because I was in the middle, like I was in the middle of a four-day race, I sort of put it aside. Yeah. Um, didn't think much of it, but when I got back to Australia, I thought I better get this checked out. Um, and the doctor's like, well, oh, it doesn't look really good. So sent me for a breast um, mammogram and ultrasound and the results came back most likely benign. So I'm like, I'm not happy with most likely benign. I said I want to get this. Yeah, that's kind of <laughs> not, not exactly reassuring, is it? No. So I, um, yeah, I went for a biopsy and, it came, and then the doctor said I'll get back to you in a couple of weeks and the next morning he rung. I went, oh, okay. <laughs> I know where this is going. Yeah. Uh, I missed the call, yeah. but I, you knew it was a doctor. He was like, he left a message and said, could you call me back? And I'm like, all right, here we go. So, um, yeah, grade three, aggressive, invasive, um, triple negative breast cancer. So a real nasty one as well. Anyway, that's dirty. So imagine that journey didn't end right there and then. So you uh, went in and had an operation and... Yeah, so um, it didn't happen really quick. So, they were, you know, I was in the public system, but I, I just wanted it out straight away, as you can imagine, but they're like, you know, booked me for a certain time and then I got pneumonia, so I had to put it off again. Um, but I sat down and spoke with a friend and she said, just imagine that, like, just accept that a whole year of your life is going to be really different and then it all going well, it will just go back to normal. Yep. And so that put me in the mindset of, all right, I've just got to, I called it my new temporary. So yep. I, I knew my life would be different for a temporary amount of time um, and then all going well, it will return. It will, re it will return. So um, I just went through the process, you know, I probably not having kids, not having kids rely, not that they rely on me, I probably would have gone a more natural or researched a lot more natural alternative treatment. 
Um, but, you know, I tried doing that already with HIV and ended up in hospital with AIDS, like trying to do it on my own. So I chose um, yeah. to go through chemo and radiation mm-hmm. um, and I went through it. So, um, sorry. Yep. Just on your own, you mean you looked at natural therapies and natural remedies um, as an alternative to? Well, I, I didn't look too much into it, but I would say yeah. if I didn't have children, that would be the path I would have gone down. Yeah. Is more treating it naturally, like trying to, you know, trying to fight. There's There are other ways that, you, can, you know, can possibly help, but um. Uh, you know, like I was saying, back in 1994, uh, uh, 2005, I'd come off HIV medication and tried to fight it naturally through good health, good nutrition, blah, 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 and I su- didn't succeed. So I ended up very, very sick, yep. and that was a like a reality check. So that was on my mind when I was choosing what sort of treatment, and I just thought I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to do that again. You know, chemo and radiation is not guaranteed. Um, it's very nasty, but... I just didn't want to play around. Yeah. Yeah. So wanted to take all and obviously got through it. Yeah, look, it was the most horrible thing I've ever done to my body. Chemotherapy is is That's horrible. Horrible. I cannot describe. It kills your body, it kills your soul, it kills it kills a life in you. You you live through it, but it just destroys absolutely everything. My my cardio engine completely died. My zest for life died. I kept going through it and I went to CrossFit every day. I think five days a week I went to CrossFit through it. Um, but, yeah, it was just horrible. It's just a horrible experience. Mm. So it doesn't just kill every, every cell in your body. It kills your soul literally. <laughs> yeah, it felt like, yeah. But I knew I'd get through it because I, I knew it was just my new temporary and, I knew that it would change again. So you've just got to go through the process. You can't fight it. You just accept it. You accept one day you don't feel like getting out of bed and you feel like sitting in your bed and eating burgers all day, then that's what I did. I sat in my day. Yep. Like three days after chemo, I would just need a burger. I'd, uh, whatever, I didn't care. Like if it was a mat, I just ate burgers. <laughs> <laughs> three days after chemo, every every round it was just this craving that I had, I just accepted it and I blew out through chemo. I think I put on around 12 kilos and I didn't fight that either. Yep. I just I just thought this is a process. This is what he's doing. Yeah. yeah, I didn't necessarily eat more but I think just that swelling from um, cortisone or whatever, whatever your body does when it's not happy. Yeah. It just swelled. <clears throat> so right, yeah, rather than fighting yourself, just kind of went with your natural reaction. Yeah, just to assess. natural instincts. Yeah. Because yeah. well, I, uh, yeah, yeah. I knew it would change again, so I just had to go through it. Hmm. And for now, can we say fully recovered? Um, so I'm coming up for, what am I, two and a half years. So my um, danger period's within two years for this type of cancer, um, and I've passed yeah. that danger period time. Um, since then, I've gone plant-based whole foods, um, yep. And at first, I went really no processed food and stuff, but a little bit of processed food has crept back into my diet. Um, yep. I, I still I don't eat um, animal products. On saying that, after the Eco Challenge race, um, for a, for a week, I was craving like this, just like a big greasy burger, like the sandwich. Yep. And I resisted it for a week, and then I just kept 
eating and eating other stuff like I had this insatiable hunger that I just, that wouldn't yep. be satisfied and then I just went I'll oh, stuff it I'm going to eat the burger and I did I had a burger with cheese and egg and bacon and it was it worked <laughs> it worked and then I I don't have any craving for any meat or any desire for it again it's just yeah uh, so I've got you've got to listen to the body obviously I don't know whether it was fat or needed or meat I don't know what it was but it was yeah. man it was good <laughs> I imagine. I've, I've personally gone plant based and whole food based. Oh, have you? Uh, the past, past six weeks. So oh, well done, you. How are you? Haven't had a hamburger it? for. Oh, going going pretty good. Me and my girlfriend are doing it. Yep. I have to say, you feel a lot better. Yep. Oh, for sure. Um, sleep has improved a lot more. Energy. Yep. I'm still waiting for the you know the boom in energy, but haven't quite got to that stage. But definitely more energy. And I've been reading a lot too, so I know what you mean in terms of, you know, the risk factors with regard to chicken and red meat and it's a whole other topic. But it's a whole other topic, yep, yep. I could probably do a whole series of podcasts on diet and nutrition and cancer prevention and all the rest, but, yeah, it definitely helps. So I can see why you've done that. Yeah, no, it's been a very good change. And after, like, all the way through chemo, I had – Two goals, I guess. Um, one, like the fact, like I'd read, um, it's a lot about the bike by Lance Armstrong um, and yep. his journey. And I just thought, like, if he can go through what he went through, and chemo treatment and cancer treatment back then was so violent, and he got through yeah. all that and still became an athlete. I just thought, well, if he can do it, I'm gonna like. There's a chance that my body can regain full health. Um, yeah. And then I decided I wanted to be come back fitter, stronger, and healthier, and wiser than pre-cancer. So they were my goals. Um, and which, which, and sorry, yep. Uh, just thinking about goals, and you know, are you saying you started to plan things in the future? Ironically, starting to plan when things are quite uncertain. Well, I um, my goal was um, world's toughest mother, two thousand and seventeen. Like to, that yep. was my my measuring stick, my yardstick, I guess, because I'd been on that course before. I know how how I'd run before, and I just wanted to make that my premium race. And I did the race. I'd done the most. I did the most miles I've ever done, and felt the best I'd ever felt, and recovered the quickest. My place wasn't. Um, I think I, I think it was fourth. I can't remember what it was. I think it was no. I, I don't even remember what I came fourth. Don't know. Cool. Doesn't matter. My yeah. um, my place wasn't um, as high as other races, but my race was better, and that's what I that that my I never judge myself onto how I go against other people. It's more how I go to me. Um, and, According to you, yeah. yeah. Um, and I had my best race. I smiled the whole way through it. I felt amazing. I felt strong. I felt vibrant, and I recovered. Like the next day. Normally I can barely walk and the next day after this race I could got up and gone for a run. I was feeling vibrant, wasn't sore. It was great. Yeah, it's an incredible, like, coming back from breast cancer. Are you still um, adventure racing to this day? So you've done the Eco Challenge <laughs> and have you done stuff beyond that? Um, well, I did um, GeoQuest beforehand and I've signed up for XPD, so I guess you could say, yeah. Um but I, I'm a bit like I'm in a bit of limbo at the moment because I don't know I I, I just I just want to find peace with my training again. 
So eco yep. was all consuming. Um, and which I don't mind, but I just need to just find my peace because I, like I said, I train because I love doing it. And at the moment after doing eco, which I did love and I, yes, I'll do again. Um, my body is just, yeah, it hasn't found its peace yet. So I'm not loving the idea of going for a bike ride. Like someone suggests go to bike ride now, I'd go, uh, not really interested. Yeah. Running, I'm just starting to feel okay. So my body's not happy yet. It's still a bit traumatised from it. Yeah. From all the events of the past 20-odd no. years? Oh, no, 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 just from eco. <laughs> Just from eco. <laughs> you gotta like you gotta remember, like you you sleep two to four hours a night and then you're moving twenty to twenty two oh. hours a day. Yeah. I've heard it. it's so pretty ridiculous in terms ridiculous of what you do day to day. And your body or some people bounce back. I don't bounce back anymore. Maybe when I even if I was thirty or forty I could, but I'm 50 and my body's gone through the ringer and there's no bouncing at the moment. So I'm three weeks post, just over three weeks post-event and just starting to find the piece again. Um, I expected I'd be four weeks before I found it. So, you know, I'm probably probably on par. Um, okay, yeah, so you're all, sorry. a couple more months, if we chatted again, you'd be fine. You, you oh, might totally. be back on track and... Totally. Doing your next event. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. It's just at this present point in time, I'm just I'm on the low yeah. on the low. But it'll come back. It always does. So it's just I've just gotta I've always listened to my body. So I always yeah. respect it. If it because I love going out bike riding and running, if the thought of it doesn't excite me, then I know my body doesn't is not ready yet. Doesn't want to do it. Yeah. So you never force yourself. No, I just go for a walk. It's good. <laughs> it's working. Yeah. That, and then I guess that, that brings us to the present day. So, yeah, doing a bit of training here and there, waiting for the body to, I guess, fix itself, come back in terms of energy and yep. especially after Eco Challenge, Augusta, unfortunately, off, yeah, off the list. I'm a bit cut about that because I, <laughs> I love the rapid ascent events i used to follow them around everywhere i used to do like forster and gold coast western australia i was like an, a rapid ascent junkie i was just yeah followed them everywhere and the fact that this is the last one um yeah yeah that's and, and we should point out to listeners too that you won in 2010 and 2012 so what what does augusta and the adventure fest and i, I know it used to be called the anaconda adventure fest it used to be called Act belong commit as well, I think. Yeah, I only remember. What does that that race mean to you? Um, the name as or the one over in particular in Augusta. In Augusta, yeah. So Augusta was always a cool one because uh, it was always this little battle between New Zealand and Australia. So, um, because of how I was racing back then, I was one of the female um, contenders. So they they I think it was was it. I can't remember how many guys and how many girls. One guy, two guys, one girl. Said, I think they played off a, a few Australians against New Zealanders. So there was like this little battle, and whoever placed, I think they did on time. I'm not sure, but you know, were Australia against New Zealand. So there's that aspect of it, um, yeah. which I always love. We get to we get to wall the Anaconda top with the Australian flag on it, 
that was cool. Just got a couple of them. Um, and it's a That's very cool. Yeah, That's particularly good race because I think the start is magnificent. Uh, like around Cape Lewin. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. all these people just rock copying. Um, it's magnificent. Like there's kind of no other race like it. Um, yeah, I think. Yeah, myself, it's going to be my first race, so I can't wait to see the start of it. But that's. You're doing it? Are you uh, doing yeah, it? we've actually got a little team together, oh, Rapid Ascent. Nice. So John's doing the kayak, got a former world champion kayak kayaker doing the the kayak so that yep. bit of pressure there sam's obviously a pretty elite runner when he's not working at rapid ascent yeah he's, uh, he's doing the run leg yep. i'm doing the mountain bike leg okay. i've been on a bike about three times in the past six months <laughs> <laughs> and kylie's doing the swim another girl that uh she's in the office three days a week so oh, cool. well that'd be fantastic yeah yeah oh so you'll get to see the run start yeah, I will. Yeah, oh, it's magnificent. I think the mount, yeah. mountain bike leg is last, so yeah, I'll see most of the race and then get ready for the mountain bike leg to bring it home. <laughs> so. It's it's not the uh, not to it's not my favourite mountain bike leg, <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's all right. I've heard mixed reports, yeah. but um, it's it was never my favourite mountain bike leg, but all the other legs were were fantastic. Yeah, sorry, so a lot of sorry um, you've got the mount, but you love it. <laughs> you love it. <laughs> It's I'll have to try and get out of it now. <laughs> no, no, no. It's a fast. It's a fast mountain bike because it's on yeah a fair bit on road. Um, then it goes on to trails. Yeah. Yeah, we're definitely looking forward to it, and it's good to hear that it's um, it's got a nice place in your memory from 2010 and 2012. And what happened in 2011? You mustn't have been there. I can't remember. I, I remember <laughs> one race. I remember doing one race there that my um, <clears throat> ham suit. Excuse me. <laughs> Sorry, my hamstring seized up. I don't know whether what year that was. In 2011, yeah. <clears throat> Could have been, yeah. Otherwise, uh, probably would have been a podium, a podium finisher again. Yeah, I'm sure I was over there three, three <laughs> years. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. It's a blur. Well, you've done that many adventure races. And I've done a few. I guess you're – adventure racing career and your life itself it's been characterized by challenges and little obstacles yeah and some very very big obstacles at the same time how do you how do you keep just picking yourself up um i just i've learned through through my life experiences that it, things are temporary so when you lose someone you love it's temp you know that that pain is temporary and it, if it, you've yep. got to accept that you're going to feel it and that's okay and you're going to go through all emotions but it, you move on um with with health it's the same you go through all the emotions of being unwell and what that entails and stigma associated with it but it does get better like my life has taught me whilst you're present in the situation, it's very, it's down, it's, you know, you can be sad or overwhelmed, but I've learnt that it gets better. So whenever anything sort of happens, I know it will get better. So I just hang on to that, that you just got to accept that you go through whatever turmoil it is, 
knowing that there will be another chapter yeah. that will be good. And, like, uh, if if my life was just the same all the time, like, I don't, you don't, when your life is just monotone, yeah. you don't understand highs and lows and great feelings of success and failure. So it's all these, yeah, okay. it's all these challenges and successes and failures as well. Like, you know, I've failed a lot in my life, but that makes you more determined or <clears throat> it teaches you to feel what that feels like as well, which is an okay feeling. Like to be angry is an yep. okay feeling and to be happy, every feeling is um, is okay. But you, I, I just know that at the end of feeling bad or angry or upset or failed that uh, there will be happy and love and excitement and thrills again. So I just... At the end. Yeah, I just get through that stuff to get the good stuff again. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's good advice. I think one of my favourite sayings is "This too shall pass." I think that's a yeah. Stoic philosophy. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, love it. Everything's very temporary and passes. So yeah, which is also a Buddhist philosophy as well, isn't it? I am not sure of that, but I like it. In terms of acceptance and oh, letting things it. pass. Yeah, so. you've just got to let it let it pass. Yeah. Yeah, that's. Obviously, you're you're a massive inspiration to males and females, but especially women. Any advice for aspiring female athletes out there, or girls, girls in general, young girls? Uh, so I guess my advice would be right or wrong. I, I just see too many people trying to compare themselves to other people. Yep. How they place whether they place in front of a person or behind a person or I, I think people need to look at th themselves as the most strongest competitor and how they place compared to them. So you could place fifth and have an amazing race and do a PB, but if you you still feel failure because you may not have beaten the people you wanted to beat. But you've got to go yeah. internal and just compare you against you because you cannot change anyone else but yourself. You can't change how people are going to race around you. Um, you can only change how you race. And just to find yourself and forget when you're, when you're racing, forget everyone else around you and just find yourself and don't race anyone else's race, race your own race and be happy because every, every, Every race is a success. It doesn't matter where you come or or even if you have a bad race, it's still a learning a learning step towards a better race. So yeah, just find yourself and race for yourself. Forget forget everyone else. Yeah, again, really good advice, I think. I mean, the obsession with times and um I know the, the, the world is about social engagement now and apps like Strava, you know, you get compared oh constantly, even your morning run, the oh, 5K yeah. run, you get compared against 15 other people who've done the same thing that morning. It's yeah. just, it's endless. And, and it would, it does, it's got, I don't go, I'm not on Strava, surprise, surprise. Um, <laughs> but it's got to affect like how you ride. Like if you're, I don't know, I, I used to do this group bike ride and it was a social group bike ride. This is pre-Strava. And it was great. I'd go, I roll over. It was kind of very social, very chatty. I used it as like a wind down ride. Then Strava existed, and the the bike ride turned crap. 
just was like these over 40 men trying to, I don't know what they were trying to achieve or whatever, and it was just horrible. So I, I don't ride with that group and refuse to ride with that group and I think we're, I don't really ride with anyone on Strava because I'm out for a ride, yeah. not a competition. I, like for me the competition happens when you're at the start line and prior to that and after that it's fun. It should be fun, not yep. a race, yeah. I think very good advice and I know we're getting up towards two hours. It feels like we've been chatting for about 10 minutes, but <laughs> just a couple more questions if we can, Diana. Yep. Um, do you think age is a barrier to endurance? So certainly age plays a part in anybody's um, physical ability. Um, I don't know what I, I can't tell you what age is your best age to peak or where, where you come where you're good for endurance or not I do know um that my body now at age 50 doesn't respond like it used to um it doesn't recover like it used to um yeah so I I do feel like my eyesight's changing my skin's changing um I'm starting to feel age do I use it as barrier no no, of course not. Yep. But uh, it's a reality. Like you can't say age is just a number because it can be a number, but it also affects the way your body is. Um, yeah. So I don't. I don't go. Oh, I'm okay for fifty. I just. I I will just be who I am and race to the best that I can. And you know that's that's good so for me. More of a. I'm okay for being alive type thing yeah. rather than sort of <clears throat> referencing an age. But uh, like on saying that, I used to pre um, going through everything, I used to race um, open category all the time. Like now I, I, I don't know, maybe I'll tick the 50 and over box. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know because, you know, once again, it's not, it's not about podiuming for me. It's not. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a realist as well. So my body is not 40, like 40, between 40 and 45, I felt on top of the world, fittest, strongest, fastest. I felt amazing. Yeah. Yep. Um, and certainly, I don't know, I, I pulled in a good run the other day. I did a, this is, uh, I did a 20 minute 5K. So, that's well, still, it's four yeah. minute K. So, I still do it, like, but I've got to try, yeah. maybe try a little bit harder or I don't know. I'm still capable. Maybe I'm just getting more relaxed. Don't know. Yeah. Oh, it sounds like age is no barrier by no means in terms of getting out there and you know a lot of people would, I think would be susceptible to saying, "Well, that's enough." You know, I'm getting a little bit older than tooth. And as it just the other week, as a good bit of inspiration, we had a 72 year old doing the trail running series. That's so, crazy. and it was his first trail running series ever. That's crazy. That's beautiful, isn't it? So. Yeah, it's magnificent. Guy from Canada. Wow. Just yeah. out there doing it. Yeah. Never done any events whatsoever. So crazy. What distance? Uh, he did the short course, yeah. pretty sure. So it was about 5K at the time. So cool. Love it. Pair of tracksuit pants, a flannelette <laughs> shirt, and off he went. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, look, I don't and, think my age is an yeah. excuse, like I'm too old for this, but I'm, I'm a realist as well and do feel, yeah. And just one final question, if we can. We, I asked this question to John Jacoby, so I'm keen to hear your thoughts, but 
do you believe in nature or nurture? You know, is your are your athletic abilities something you were born with, or do you think you can train anyone uh, to be an athlete? Okay. So I believe it's endurance a, athlete. Yeah. I should add. Uh, uh, it's a combination of the two. Um, I was definitely born an athlete. If that make I don't. Well, so for example, when my mum took my, it was a one kilometre walk to Kinder. My sister would sit in the pram and I'd run beside it. My sister was the one going to kinder. I was still like two or three. Uh, which, what, what age is kinder? Four or five. So I was two years younger than her, yeah. so uh, three. She would hop in my pram and I'd run beside it. Um, <laughs> so, like, there's always been that for me to move. Yeah. Um, it's always I, been that urge. Yeah, yeah, and I do know I have a lot of natural ability, um, which I'm guessing I'm born with. But it's it's how I was nurtured to use that ability. So I had a, I had I believe the opportunity of both. So I was born with a, a good yep. capability. I was a very natural athlete, um, and then I was nurtured very well by my parents, and given the opportunity to be an athlete. Um, and that I think it's that combination for me that's made yep. me be, be the athlete I am. Um, <clears throat> so I, I, you, there's what I call natural athletes and then there's um, so, uh, like trained athletes or and someone that's not born with natural ability can certainly become an elite athlete. Yep. They've just got to train differently a lot, I'll necessarily say a lot harder, Um but they become, they can train themselves to be exceptional athletes for sure. So there's a lot of natural athletes that are born that never become an athlete as well. Yeah, so they're that's born also true. natural ability and they never ever know they have it and never ever use it. So, and, and then you can be born with natural ability but not have the brain to desire it too. So it's a common, you've got to have all the things working. But you can, there's certainly so many athletes out there that, aren't born with as much athletic ability but certainly have the time and dedication and commitment and dreams to become ex- exceptional athletes. So that's yeah. my theory on it. I, I Just for myself, I know I was born with good ability and I was nurtured with that, you know, to how to use that ability. So a mixture of both? Yeah. Well, you see it with AFL players and tennis players and, you know, it's, remarkable natural abilities but if the attitude's not there then it's not nurtured properly so yeah it's definitely both and you see some pretty incredible AFL athletes too that just don't quite have the football brain and the football skills so yeah yeah I sometimes go to like I could go to a when my daughter was doing gymnastics I could scan a class and see I could see the person just by looking at them that just had it together that could just that would be a little champion or I could go to a little running meet and and or school and just I don't know there's something you can just see that they just look a little different I think it's in their eyes I don't know anyway and then there's the unlikely yeah. athletes so don't look anything like an athlete and then just a freaking brilliant so that you can't pick so <laughs> there's the, a, the little hidden gems oh, the diamonds in the rough yeah there's there's some people that that you just wouldn't pick and they're just so incredibly talented. So 
It's a mixed batch. Yeah. That's why it's perfect because we can't all be the same. No, exactly right. It's it's very interesting to get your thoughts on that question. So it's a very open-ended question, I must admit, but yeah. what, it's what, a pretty what, good answer, I think. John Jacoby, what would he have said? Uh, John was of a very similar view that you can train someone to become an endurance athlete. Obviously, with a 100-metre sprint, you're not going to – if you're slower, then you're slower. But endurance, you can be trained from pretty much any ability was his okay. uh, point of view. Yep. <clears throat> it's um yeah that was episode two with John and uh, John Augusta Adventure First and John is fairly synonymous and I guess it's been fairly synonymous uh, for you as well so you did the three events uh, 2010 2011 2012 and a few after that so mm. obviously it means a little bit to you doesn't it Augusta yeah, uh, Augusta but the whole this whole series. You know, when it all yeah. kind of faded out, I was, yeah. And that's the Anaconda Adventure Races. That's right, yeah. 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 Yeah, it's, I feel like we could keep on talking about the history of Anaconda and adventure racing and it's we're getting up towards two hours, yeah, Diana, so. Yeah. <laughs> I know <laughs> you probably have a million other things to do this evening and tomorrow and the rest, so I'll let you get on with your, your evening. Thank you. But um, been absolutely magnificent chatting. It's Thank a true you. inspiration. Thank you. Your story. There's there's a hundred different stories in there that we could we could probably do the Diana Blake series. I think. <laughs> It'd be boring pretty quick. <laughs> no, it's been uh, great to chat to you, and Thank thanks you. very much for your time this evening. We're shattered. You won't be doing Augusta, but oh. maybe next year we. We've got something else coming in that space, so maybe next year. All right. But, well, I, I need a new challenge, so keep me filled. Yeah. Yep. Uh, keep you posted on that one. Thank you, um, and all the best for yourself. Enjoy that bike ride. Yeah, thanks, Tiana. I actually want to get it straight out on the bike right now. You've inspired me. All right, so. go, go do it. Go do a training run. Awesome. All right, see you. Okay, th thank you. Thanks, Tiana. Okay, Cheers. Bye.